this week's TripCast, we'll talk about a legislative session that's putting reporters to sleep, lawmakers' report card for Governor Greg Abbott, and a revived religious liberty bill. But before we do, I want to thank our TripCast sponsors. The Independent Colleges and Universities of Texas. Private colleges, public purpose. Texas Independent Colleges and Universities are as diverse as the students and communities they serve. Learn more at iCut.org. And Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Want healthcare insights? Listen to the Blue Promise podcast hosted by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at standingwithtexas.com. Hello, this is Alexa Uda here on Wednesday, May 15th with your Texas Tribune Tripcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Breaking news editor Matthew Watkins. Hello. And political reporter Patrick Svitak. Good afternoon. We'll also be taking your questions in real time via Facebook and Twitter, so send them our way using the hashtag TribCast. All right, well, if one of y'all could please kick Ross under the table and wake him up, because I want to talk about his column this week. Did you read the second paragraph of this thing? I don't read your columns, (laughs) in which he basically called the legislative session a snooze fest. I don't necessarily disagree, but like... That's basically like I, sitting in a quiet newsroom and saying, oh, it's a quiet news day, everybody. Yeah, I wish, I wish news would break out. No, it's, it really is about, you know, they started this session saying, we're going to do meat and potatoes, we're going to do bread and butter. They stayed on food pretty, pretty much. And we're not going to do the flashy stuff. And it was sort of a comment without saying bathroom bill or something like that about how things went in the 2017 session. And I think it was also a reaction to the 2018 elections. And, you know, they don't want to, you know, a lot of people... At the beginning of the session, and even now, we're telling me we don't want to look like Washington in any way, shape, or form. We're just going to stick to the serious stuff. Um, we're going to try to minimize the yelling and screaming and stamping up and down. And, you know, by Texas legislative standards, they have. Well, I mean, the thing is, though, if you think about a legislative session as setting yourself up for the next election cycle, right? Like what people can run on, what they can right. challenge people on. Is there anything that Republicans at this point can take away from this session, especially House Republicans who are probably facing a tough election cycle? Well, they'll be able to, depending on what they do with the conference committees from here on out, they'll be able to say something about, we did this for education. You know, we put more money in the classroom. We got money for teachers so your kids will get better educations, yada, yada, yada. Education's a big deal with Republicans and Democrats. And depending on what the the property tax compression looks like, you know, we got a leash on your property taxes in the city and the county now have to ask you if your rates are going to go up. And maybe they'll be able to say we got a small reduction in your school property taxes. But I think they'll take all of that and run with it rather than coming out of here saying, you know, all we did was political stuff. Do voters go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, you know, one of the big, if you look at least statewide, you look at Dan Patrick, you know, the big argument that Democrats were making about Dan Patrick was education. Right. And he can now say, you know, and other members who kind of face the same criticism he received can point to this big school finance bill. We increased school funding by however much the number ends up being. Right. And he got the same criticism in the Republican primary. Scott Milder ran against him on education and got, you know, a quarter of the votes. You know, I think that was the, the first brushback pitch. And then the election that he won by less than five points, I think, was the second one. Yeah. 
I mean, I think as Alexa kind of alluded to, the Texas House is really going to be the battleground in 2020 between these two chambers, given how close Democrats are to the majority. There's going to be statewide investment, uh, national investment in trying to flip the House. And I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but this you know, now uh, doomed sales tax swap, I think, is still a very live issue in general election races for the Texas House. Um, those numbers that came out about, you know, who would, you know, the, the few brackets that would see an actual, you know, net uh, tax decrease um, were pretty devastating in a political context. And you could totally see in these battleground Texas House races, Democratic challengers running on that and saying, you know, ex-Republican incumbent, um, you know, Republican leaders in Austin wanted to raise taxes on middle-class families. Where was your Republican incumbent? I mean, they never voted on it. Yeah, uh, but there as, weren't a lot of- Not as good as it would have been there, if there had been a vote. Sure, right? it would have been great if there was a vote on it, politically <laughs> speaking, but they never voted on it, but it's certainly, a, it could, I think it'd be a pressure point in these races. You know, you're, maybe you're, there was no vote on it, but your Republican incumbent, uh, you know, where were they? Were they fighting it? Were they speaking out against it? So I think it's going to be something you'll hear about again. You know, and the people that were griping in the first place about, and they are numerous and they're out there griping about their high property taxes, aren't getting much satisfaction here. I, I have a question for you, Ross, which is that we hear this really from both sides. You know, I mean, I, I've, I can't count the number of Empower Texans emails I've seen that talk about, like, the house might flip and, you know, this will be your fault or things like that. that that's how you raise money. Yeah. and Well, well that's, that's my question is that, um, how much do you think this is actually influencing the votes that they're taking? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of this is they're not voting on the things that are, you know, they've kind of taken the sharp objects off the table. They're, a lot of these things aren't coming to a vote. The, the tax swap's a great example. They didn't bring it to the floor for a vote to force everybody into, you know, that wedge issue, knowing that the Senate wasn't going to go with them. You know, they found out the day before that the Senate didn't want to do it. So it's like, you know, nobody needs to die on this, on this field. Um, there are about 31 seats where the political environment is such that, you know, an election could go either way. It could go to a Democrat or a Republican. The Democrats are within eight votes of parity with the Republicans in the House. But they also won a bunch of seats that nobody expected them to win last time. You know, they won um, 12 seats, and a lot of people had it, you know, maybe five or six or seven seats. So they've actually going to have to they're actually going to have to hold their ground on some seats that they might not, you know. But if they won those seats in a midterm election, aren't the chances better in a presidential given the different I, electorate? I don't know that that's right. I mean, you know, they they won it in a midterm that was weird. It had a presidential level turnout. But I wouldn't assume that those Democrats until they're, you know, tested the first time, I wouldn't assume that they're going to hold those seats. The Republicans are going to come at them as strongly as the Democrats are going to go after the, you know, whatever Republicans they feel are weak. Yeah, I think Republicans will have several real offensive opportunities in, in the Texas right. House to flip back some of these seats. Right. Um, you know, candidate recruitment, I think, is going to be important. You know, it's not like in the, con you know, in the targeted congressional races where you always end up with a pretty credible, serious, viable nominee every single time. In some of these Texas House races, it's a little, sometimes a little, you got to dig a little deeper to, to find really strong candidates. So I think candidates are going to matter in those Texas House races. But I, I would agree that there are some, some opportunities for Republicans to flip back seats. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's going to be a fight. It's in play. I mean, both of them are going to have the same opening paragraph on all their fundraisers. You know, the house is in play and we're going into a redistricting year. <laughs> right. I'm just send, thinking send of a redistricting session in which we have a right. Republican Senate and a Democrat House. I mean, that would be a pretty nutty session. But you've already, you know, the Democrats already lost the, the redistricting fight in this sense. Sure. There's a thing called the Legislative Redistricting Board, as you well know, 
that's already been picked. Um, it's, you know, four statewide officials and the Speaker of the House, and those are all Republicans right now. So even if the House and Senate lock up, you know, and, or if the governor looks at what they produce and says, nah, it goes to the Legislative Redistricting Board. Congressional redistricting is a little bit different. Um, but, you know, the Republicans have the legislative maps or should have the legislative maps pretty well in hand. This just shows you how boring the session is that we try <laughs> to have a conversation about one. it. We're already talking we'll about we're already 2020. 2021. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, I will say, though, with ever, so all the big so stuff. I, is so in, I win on the first question. Is that what happened? Uh, maybe. Uh, so everything's in conference committee at this point. It is. It has been interesting, though, with everything being handled behind closed doors for the most part. You have seen some things emerge. They have. They, they now have the space to sort of become a little bit more controversial or at least get more attention than they had. You have, you know, the stuff that was that Democrats were trying to kill on midnight deadline, including this bill that the LGBT caucus took down, which we'll get to later. Today, they have Senate Bill 9, a controversial, wide-ranging election bill that in the absence of other activity has sort of picked up even more opposition than it did when it went through the Senate and sailed out of there. One of our readers asked... What's going on with that bill? When are they back? Um, I just came back from the elections committee hearing, which adjourned while they went back onto the floor, and they'll be back this afternoon. Right. Some drama about closing testimony, registration there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is interesting if you are being accused of pushing a bill that suppresses the votes that you would then, uh, you know, in some way suppress the voices of people who want to speak either for it or against it. I don't know the strategy on that one. But... Um, those things have emerged in the absence of other activity. It, it kind of seems right. like the, um, you know, a lot of what we talked about earlier in the session was, you know, Bonin, Patrick, Kumbaya, is that real? Or are they just trying to make nice until the real fight comes? And I think you could still, I mean, we've, we've got what, uh, less than two weeks left in right. the session, but you can still kind of be asking that question because there's plenty of opportunity to fight about things if, if either of them gets into a fighting mood. We still have a significant fight in the education bill. I mean, the big bill of the session, right? We get the budget over here. That seems to be going okay. We've got the property tax limits bill, and that seems to be within reach. But the, the big fight inside the education bill, the Senate put all of this money, $4 billion or something like that, into $5,000 teacher pay raises, across the board, included librarians in it. The House has less money for that and more money for um, lowering recapture, increasing the state share of education spending. And it's basically, you know, we have this big pile of money. The controller came in and said, you have a lot of money. The Senate spent it one way, the House spent it another way, and they've got plenty to fight about. And they've been pretty far apart on that from the beginning. I mean, you know, Dan Patrick unveiled this at his inauguration speech, you know, right at the beginning of, in January, right in the beginning of the year. Right. And, you know, you look back at when the House had its press conference uh, to uh, announce the filing of HB3, the school finance bill, you know, really the most public, you know, there's been some behind the scenes squabbling, but the most public kind of hit by that Bonin has landed in this session was about that bill and, and calling what Dan Patrick and the Senate was proposing not a plan. And so like none of those issues have been resolved publicly at this point. Right. And like one of, a lot of the big questions is, you know, do you meet in the middle or are both sides going to kind of dig in their heels? The, the thing though is they're fighting over the sort of bread and butter stuff that they said at the beginning and not over the cultural fights or the social stuff or the classic political wedge issues that, you know, kind of have, um, risen to the top in 2017 and 2015 yeah. in the last two sessions. 
Well, speaking of playing nice, let's talk about lawmakers playing nice with Greg Abbott, who got somewhat of a report card this week in one of Patrick's stories. I liked in particular how Craig Goldman, a Republican from Tarrant County, was saying, you know, it's the most engaged I've seen a governor in all of my four sessions, which, of course, three of the four were led by Greg Abbott. <laughs> so I'm not sure how that works. But Abbott, I mean, Patrick, tell us about Abbott's yeah, report card. Yeah, I think, he, so I think he probably meant, you know, is the biggest improvement he's seen specifically from Abbott, you know, this being Abbott's third session, um, you know, at least last session, you know, his uh, relationship with, I think particularly uh, Republicans in the Texas House had gotten to something of a low point. And you saw that illustrated by his decision afterward to get involved in some of these uh, primaries, uh, you know, and, and, and endorse uh, challengers to sitting House Republicans. Um, you know, there are plenty of examples of that last session where I think some House Republicans viewed him as just not involved in the process or involved in the wrong way. Um, this time around, you know, we, we spoke to lawmakers for this story and, and a lot of them agreed, particularly again in, in the House where I, I think you could argue he needed the biggest kind of, he needed, the, he had the most room for improvement. Um, you know, they, they said that they see him as more engaged, more involved. Um, you know, his staff is, uh, you know, smoothing things out behind the scenes. Uh, he and his staff are making clear where they want things to go without getting too, um, you know, without being uh, counterproductive behind the scenes. Um, but, you know, as we pointed out in the story, um, there's still a lot up in the air. Uh, and as Ross just pointed out on these two big issues, there's still a decent amount up in the air with two weeks left to go. Right. And so the story was kind of posed as a question, you know, Greg Abbott is so lawmakers tend to agree Greg Abbott's so involved and engaged, uh, you know, such an improvement, but, um, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. Yeah. Um, you know, and we'll see where they get on those two big issues. I mean, I think about last session on the bathroom bill and how long it took Abbott to even declare a real position on that. Granted, that's not really the same as the sort of property tax stuff and school finance that we're talking about now, but it took him so long to even go anywhere on that. But then when you look at this session, one of his big things was the sell tax swap or the tax swap. And obviously he came out with Bonin and Patrick and they were all sort of endorsing it. But it was really sort of his thing. And it's sort of the one big thing that fell apart this session so far. I mean, how does that reflect on? Yeah, it was him? a high profile yeah. loss. And certainly we, we um, mentioned it pretty prominently in our story. You know, it was a pretty, you know, pretty disappointing setback for him. I mean, of those three leaders, he seemed to be... Um, he and Bonin, at least, seemed to be the most invested in it. Dan Patrick seemed a little cooler on it than, than those two other leaders did. I guess I'm just wondering, what is a political strategy on putting something like that forward, given that, you know, it, it immediately sort of unraveled once you started getting these LBV reports about how low-income Texans would be affected by it? I mean, how do you get to the point where you put that forward? Well, I think the political calculus there was that the, you know, that uh, Texans want property tax relief so much that they're willing to put up with that. And as I think you know, there is some memorable quote from Bonin where um, I'm blanking on it now, but he said, I've never had a you know constituent come in and tell me that they're being uh, you know sales taxed out of their house or something right, like yeah, that right, or something right. like that. Right. Um, so they were clearly betting that the, you know, politically speaking, that the, the desire for property tax relief was so intense that people were willing to um, put up with the sales tax increase. It, take, um, it takes but, a tremendous amount of state spending to lower school property taxes, you know, to get 20, to get a dime, it's like $2.7 billion uh, to get, you know, two dimes, you know, what they were talking about here, yeah. 15 to 20 cents, you got to have $5 billion or more. And so you got to do something dramatic and they, you know, pulled a one penny sales tax out of their hat 
and thinking that their voters would react, you know, as Patrick says, more to the property tax cut than to the sales tax increase, and that's not what happened. But it's not just their voters, right? It's Democrats who they needed to get that two-thirds vote <laughs> in each chamber. Right. For well, sure, yeah, pr- procedure, yeah, process-wise, that's, that's part of why it right. fell apart, for sure, yeah. I think Democrats should be probably, uh, from a strategic perspective, being be commended for making very clear early on their kind of ironclad opposition to this um, and sticking with that throughout. Um, I don't think anyone, I mean, I'm sure there was some backroom, you know, backroom talks, but I don't think any Democrat broke ranks and publicly came out, you know, throughout yeah. that process and said, hey, I'm going to support this. As someone who's kind of watched this from, you know, from the office, basically. Uh, Editing I, all the stories. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't think there's any, any, I don't think there's any question we've seen Abbott more this session. We've seen him on the floor, um, you know, talking to lawmakers, uh, putting himself out there, taking positions. The question I would have is how different would this have been if he weren't around? Like where we are now, you know, if, if there weren't a governor at all, would we still have <laughs> HB3? Classic <laughs> editor question. <laughs> Just think. This is I mean, why we don't let you out of the office. This idea but, out there. But, but, but think about this. I mean, you know, we, we, are, we talked earlier about Dan Patrick um, getting kind of beat over the head with education. Right. And obviously the House has been trying to do this forever. And there was a strong incentive and a will there, regardless of Patrick, to kind of get this done this session. Property taxes, somewhat similar. Dan Patrick... Property taxes have been Dan Patrick's thing since he got here, and he's been wanting to get that done. Um, you know, is this a case of Governor Abbott stepping in and making things happen, or is it a case of the rooster taking credit for the sun rising in the morning? I mean, this is, these are things that, that might have happened anyways. And then you talk about the sales tax increase. This is one where he really stuck his neck out. And, you know... I, we didn't see a situation where he was actually able to move votes. And, you know, one of the big criticisms of him in the past is that, you know, in, in 2015, he was promising to uh, help people in their elections, and, and that didn't work out quite as well. And then right. 2017, he kind of took the hard-nosed approach and primarying people. But some of those people who got primaried are still around for 2019. Now it's kind of the more wheeling and dealing, but... And maybe it's too soon to know, but has that actually had an effect on where the legislation well, has gone? you know, a couple of things. I mean, by putting together the interim panel that basically built this bill and by, you know, harnessing the lieutenant governor and the speaker behind an issue and focusing everybody on the issue, if this thing, if they pull this thing off, he's going to get credit for framing it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of it's working the floor and part of it's just, you know, working the issue and sustaining the interest in it. You know, he had two sessions in a row where one of his emergency issues was ethics legislation and he basically proclaimed it and then forgot about it, left it and, you know, it, you know, left it out and, you know, nobody wanted to eat it. Uh, this one, at least he's sustained the effort. Yeah. I mean, he really centered it in his uh, reelection campaign to the extent that he had to, you know, run a, a vigorous reelection <laughs> campaign, um, you know, but he, he put out a, uh, you know, he put out the a property tax, uh, proposal, I think it was in January 2018, that was kind of his blueprint for running on property tax reform. And that was also, I think, meant to be kind of a blueprint for members who wanted to run on uh, property tax reform. And so I think you should get some credit for leading the conversation. Not all the credit, but some credit. To argue against myself here, I mean, one of the things about the property tax Typical editor move as well. (laughs) (laughs) Alexa loves when I do this. Um, Is that 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 2.5 numbers did seem to come from him. Uh, The 2.5 
property tax election number. And obviously the number is now up to 3.5, but you could make the argument that it would have been higher if not for Abbott. So sure. I mean, maybe but do we, right. do we end up in this position if Patrick at the begin Dan Patrick, not Patrick's VTAC at the beginning of the legislative session doesn't say, Oh, we want on bathrooms, right? Because that was part of why it was sort of cast aside because he claimed that they had won, even though this bill had never passed. And so there was also, you know, depending on how much, credit you want to give dan patrick but they haven't pursued these things in the same way they haven't pursued it because they got their butts kicked and he was trying to put lipstick on a pig you know they they got beat and the question got decided in in terms of the legislature doesn't want to do this sure but if if joe strauss is gone and that was seemingly who got all the blame for being beat it's a good time it's a good time to retreat but it's still a retreat sure well, we have a question from one of our viewers who only wants to know from Patrick, <laughs> what has been your biggest surprise so far? Of oh, this Just session? Just going to put you on the spot Just there. Judd wants to know <laughs> what has been your biggest surprise so far. You know, I would say that uh, that they, they have, as we pointed out earlier, that they have up until the final two weeks of the session and counting that they have stayed on on a pretty... Uh, uncontroversial path on the big issues and that as you know Alexa pointed out we have these this elections bill that's causing quite some some controversy today and we had this um, uh, Chick-fil-A slash religious liberty slash uh, whatever you want to call it bill last week but I think yeah I've actually been surprised that they've been able to uh, sustain that that kind of singular focus on property taxes and um, school finance reform, uh, despite the best efforts of, of you know reporters in the media to try to find everything else to make a big deal out of, they've really, right. they've, as you know, we were talking about earlier, they've really kept us bored, which I guess is kind of uh, successful from from their perspective. I think. Um, right. So I was skeptical that that would be the you know singular focus all the way until the end, like it is now. All right, Judd. Well, I hope that answers your question. Before our next topic, I'd like to thank two more TribCast sponsors: the Texas Association of Counties. Local government is great, not because it's government, because it's local and connected to the people. Learn more at texascountiesdeliver.org. And the Texas Bankers Association, which represents about 500 banks across Texas. Learn why Texas banks are the heart of the community at texasbankers.com. Well, so we we mentioned we've mentioned the Chick-fil-A bill, which I will not be calling the Chick-fil-A bill, but for <laughs> these purposes, we'll introduce that way. Um, it's really one of the things that has, you know, in the session of being bored, um, has sort of emerged. But, I mean, at least in the last week, more than ever, um, as this controversial thing, it was knocked down um, against midnight deadline, which was also a pretty boring midnight deadline. In the absence of this, it's been revived. We're running up against the clock. Matthew, what is the latest? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, this could be kind of the 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 thing that changes all the kumbaya session and bread and butter talk that we've been he talking said, about. He said, before. hopefully, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, so basically, you know, this is portrayed as the safe Chick-fil-A bill, as people probably know, the San Anto- city of San Antonio uh, decided not to have Chick-fil-A in its airport. One uh, city council member uh, cited kind of their um, support uh, for groups that oppose gay marriage and have kind of other uh, uh, pos- positions that are considered right. anti-LGBTQ. Um, and basically, the bill has kind of taken on two different versions, and the House had kind of a watered down... Okay, well, let me just kind of go through the versions, first of all. The um, the uh, the bill, as filed currently in the Senate, 
um, prevents the government from taking adverse action against individuals for acting in accordance with their sincerely held religious belief or moral conviction, including beliefs or convictions regarding marriage. Which is the original version of the house one as well before it was watered down. And so this is scary to people because you could read this and see it as a license to discriminate. You know, I don't want to uh, serve a gay couple or, you know, various other things that uh, are perceived as being protected in this version of the law. Um, by the time it reached the House floor, the it had been watered down a lot. And it was basically saying that the government can't punish you for being a part of some kind of religiously affiliated group. Basically, just reiterating the First Amendment, right? right. Um, but the LGBTQ caucus, um, the first of its kind this, uh, this session, uh, was still worried about it and worried about what might happen to it in the Senate. And so they kind of geared up to fight. They uh, unleashed a procedural maneuver to, to kind of kill the bill based on a technicality and kind of believed they had won this fight. They, they kind of, you know, we portrayed it as the first big victory of this LGBT I mean, it was caucus. a surprising point of order. It was surprising that the point of order was upheld. Right. Yep. I, I don't know that anybody was expecting it to go that way. Yep. Um, but it's now back alive. Um, it's a, yeah, it was a setback, but not a death. Exactly. Right. There was, well, there was a, there's a Senate version, and the Senate doesn't have the same deadlines as the House, and they have now revived this version and taken it up in committee, and it seems to be headed toward the Senate floor. Um, now, House floor. The, well, f- yeah, well, first the, the Senate, Senate floor. floor. And so the, uh, the sponsor, um, uh, Brian Hughes, uh, has indicated that he's going to try to go back to the, the House kind of watered-down language. But, you know, as, as uh, Ross Ramsey always tells me, anything can happen once it's on the floor. Well, and, and so, that was part of the concern, right? That there were the same concerns about it getting worse on the floor don't go away, even if it starts as a watered-down version again. That's right. And so the big questions here are, you know, it, it, I think we all kind of think it's going to get through the Senate, but what version of it's going to get through the Senate and what's going to happen to it when it gets to the House? Um, you know, Bonin if he wants to, could easily kind of slow things down. There are a lot of deadlines. There's a lot of bills. And, uh, you know, this could be one that kind of falls victim to the deadlines. Yeah, or you could, you could kill it in the stampede. There's, you know, thousands of bills that have to be heard by next Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm. I but, mean, this is one of the ways in which I think it's interesting, the House deadlines, the sort of dynamic that you always see between the Senate and the House and who moderates, you know, which chamber moderates the other. And in a lot of ways, so many of the controversial things die against the calendars. Um, Obviously, part of it is probably intentional in that way, but there's also a way that you can vote things out of the calendars committee and set them up. I'm curious, you know, I think my big question on this is how does it change the tone at all, right? Like this coupled with SB9, the election bill, you know, when it comes with the way it was revived in the Senate, it was a hastily called committee meeting from the floor. I think like reporters barely even got there in time to watch it if they did. They voted it out quickly. Nobody even saw any sort of language. I think there wasn't even a committee substitute voted out. They were going to do that on the floor. Um, I, you know, if you are trying to keep things steady and happy and everyone's getting along, I think this part coupled with the SB9 bill, I just, you know, there are 13 days left in session, but this still could get off the rails. And it's all happening in the same place that right. the bathroom bill happened two years ago. Right. It's over exactly. in the Senate. Yeah. 
Well, and we just don't know who, if anyone, is going to really force this issue. And I think that's the overriding question. I mean, one of the things about Bonin, right, is that when he was, um, you know, it became clear that he was going to be the next speaker. Everyone pulled out that Mark Jones ranking of all the lawmakers, and they looked at Bonin on the list, and he was way over there on the right. And, right. oh, he's way more very more Very conservative, conservative voter. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so far, I think the House has not, you know, at least on social issues, has not taken a big turn to the right. right. But there's still, you know, there's still time to do that if they so wish. And right. Well, and Bonin, you know, he was a co, he was one of the, what, 76 co-authors on what was the House's version of the bathroom bill. You know, it's, right. it's not like, you know, he was Team Strauss last time around, but like a lot of the other Republicans, they signed on to that bill. Of course, several... A lot of them signed on knowing that it was never going to come to a vote. Well, and several of them signed on after the deadline and missed the deadline to even be considered. So there was a whole lot of, like, my name is down there. But, you know, if you use that as any indication, I don't know that it's clear where he stands on the issue, but I w- would think it's safe to say that he probably doesn't want this to get onto the floor. I mean... Well, you know, I mean, I, I think they're both probably, and by both I mean Bonin and Patrick, are both thinking about what um, what do we do on the floor that either doesn't get in the way of or that promotes getting the big bills out that, you know, the, the three state leaders have kind of staked this session on. If they don't get the property tax limits bill and the school finance bill, this is a flop. I mean, well, they, and is they, there any incentive? They bet everything on the two bills. And if you get everybody stirred up about something else and that turns out to be the thing that killed school finance, you know, now you look great. Right. Well, and that ends up being, you know, that's a leadership problem, right? Right. Leadership as in the people in leadership, not that they don't know how to lead. On the other hand, the grassroots right has spent a considerable amount of this session pretty upset. And this would be a nice way to... Well, you pull out that chart you pulled out just a minute ago and we've got a very conservative speaker compared to the guy we just got rid of. Dan Patrick's Dan Patrick, Greg Abbott's Greg Abbott. Oh, we're winning. Well, and, and if, if say, school finance dies because of one of these controversial bills, you right. know, which is a big hypothetical, but if at that point you have both the uber-conservatives mad and the Democrats mad, and then so you end up facing challenges in both primaries and general elections. It's a big mess. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. The session still has, I think, 13 more days, so we'll see how all of this wraps up. Thanks to Spoon for our theme music and to the Independent Colleges and Universities of Texas, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, the Texas Association of Counties, and Texas Bankers Association for our sponsors this week. On behalf of Ross, Matthew, Patrick, and our producers, Michael, Ray, and Bobby, this is Alexa. Thanks for listening.